Before this episode of Real Early begins, I wanted to let you know that we do talk about the topic of suicide in this episode. If you aren't comfortable, please check out any of my other episodes. If you or anybody you know has suicidal feelings, I urge you to call 988, which is the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline. It is a toll-free number and is available 24-7. Thank you. Five strangers meeting for the first time. Ooh, look, I'm not going to discuss my private life with total strangers. Five people with a talent for trouble. What was that ruckus? Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Five lives that will never be the same. Man, I could see you guys my friend. I'm not wrong, am I? Oh. The Breakfast Club. Demented and sad, but social. Rated R. Starts Friday at select theaters. Check newspapers for locations. everybody welcome back to this week's episode of real early i'm your host larry sternshine on today's episode i'm going to be talking to my good friend patrick vicious about the 1985 classic the breakfast club so patrick how you doing buddy i'm good how are you larry i'm great i'm great i'm glad to have you back on you're one of the uh returning guests that i've had yes and i, I mean i think i've still to this day yes i've spoken of like i even said to rob like i was like larry is shockingly actually good at that. Like you, like you, you do ask really good questions. Like I had said various things I had never actually said in life before, let alone on a podcast. I appreciate that. I I don't know. We're just having a conversation. I'm getting to learn about people, and it's great. And sometimes I get to learn more than they wanted to let on. So I can't <laughs> complain too much, just because somebody who's listening might relate, and if yeah. that helps them with their day, I think that's pretty cool. Um, and then when I had you on last, you were just starting Chainsaws and Claws, I think. Yeah, me it's too. Been, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's been like a year now, right? How long has it been? Yeah, we, we start. Well, we officially started. Um, so, yeah, actually, if this is a year that actually would track. Um, we recorded the original. I'm going to use air quotes, even though people can't see them. Lost pilot. It still exists, but it's just like it's a lot to go through. So I don't know if it's ever going to come out. But we originally recorded the pilot in June of last year. And then neither of us were like totally cool with like releasing it so that we didn't touch it for a while. And then like, we actually started like recording, recording and like keeping up with the schedule in September of last year. And how has the show changed over time? Like what is the, how has it changed for you? Mostly um, the, the fact that like we kind of, because I think it's funny is like, the reason that we abandoned the first episode to a large extent was because it was so long because like it, it, I don't know exactly how long it was, but I think it was like over three hours, like three and a half hours, something like that. And like one of our most popular episodes is over three and a half hours with the aliens uh, one. And I know that like our Nightmare on Elm Street one is also like super long. And like the aliens one, especially it's Scream 2 and Aliens, it's one of our most popular ones. So then it was just like, oh, okay, so we can just do whatever the fuck we want and just go with it. It's fine. <laughs> what, 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 have you figured out the formula of what makes an episode successful or not? 
Because no. I don't forget that out at all. <laughs> no, Kenny, like, there, there's even something that I've tried. I've tried so hard, Larry. There's like <laughs> I keep pushing the hatchet creature from Black Lagoon one. I'm so pissed. It's at the at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so much better. It deserves so much more than that. I'm I'm kind of surprised because I mean Hatchet was a pretty big like indie horror hit when it came out. We got like yes. four sequels or three sequels and four. Yeah. Four sequel, yeah. Well, yeah, there's three, four total, three sequels. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of surprising. I mean, Creature yes. from the Black Lagoon is pretty iconic. Pretty, yeah. But you know, it uh, you know, uh what is it? Uh the House of Screams that I've, that we've done, like their most popular one now is Terrifier 2, and there's probably some classic movies that like nobody listens to. So it's like I know that one's more newer, so that kind of makes sense, but like you never know. Like Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, I will say, like, in terms of like newer, like, whenever we do like the specials, those do really well. Um, like, whenever we like we do one, like, for a movie that like just came out, like, we did like Stream Six, Evil Dead Rise, whatever, those always like do really well, like, right out the gate. Yeah. Um, I think Stream Six might be our, it's it's either our first or second most popular one at this point. I want to be the number one because I love it. It's my favorite one that we've done. No, I know that feeling. Uh, uh, the House of Screams episode I was on for the thing was like their number one for a while and i just said it was because of me obviously but now it's just number two it probably has to do with the fact that it's the thing and the thing is like one of the greatest yeah that's fair horror movies of all time now speaking of <laughs> speaking of horror <laughs> high school <laughs> that is a transition i was wondering where you're gonna go with that so there you go <laughs> no uh like i said we're gonna be talking about the the, the 85 teen classic the breakfast club directed by and written by john hughes and I had had the idea that I was going to start doing just movie-specific episodes. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I was like, yeah, there's got to be movies that people that were growing up that was like hugely influential for them, and they would talk about like why and everything. And you came to me, and you were like, I want to talk about a couple of movies, but like The Breakfast Club was like top of the list. The first, My first thought was uh, I was surprised because, you know, when you you know i know you for being like like horror genre person but you know with our episode that we talked about you know like growing up you know it kind of makes sense that this kind of movie may have been influential for you growing up we'll get into that of course but i thought that was kind of interesting but i was also very excited to talk about it too just because you know breakfast club was a big movie for me growing up in various like in, like time periods you know, and plus, I also lived in the area that those movies took place in the North Shore of Chicago, so that was kind of fun. Um, awesome. But what is it about the Breakfast Club that you wanted to talk about so much? Like, how? I mean, we'll get talk talking about more, but like briefly, what is it about the film that gets you so excited growing up? I mean, it's mostly it's funny because it's like, um, like I could just point blanket be like it kept me from killing myself um because like um like when i first saw it when i was like little like really little um i mean i liked it like i thought it was cool um but it wasn't like something that i was like super attached to it wasn't until like i got into high school and that was one of the vhs it's funny because like you mentioned like the horror thing and i was like the main vhs i was watching endlessly were like friday 13th part four friday 13th part six um breakfast club um ferris bueller um and like the kevin smith movies so it was like and, and swingers um but like my taste is always been kind of all over the place but like it's definitely 
a lot of horror, but like it spreads. But like the main thing that kind of made me feel not alone in high school was watching Breakfast Club because it's like it, it weirdly it's it's like it's I'm I'm I definitely feel differently about it than I did then, but like I still can tap into watching that in my parents' house like every weekend and like how it made me feel and also the fact that I watched it so many times that it was the first movie that kind of made me understand like how movies were made like why you made certain choices in terms of like how you where you put your camera and how you move your camera and like all that kind of stuff so it's like it's just for me it's like it's super super important and uh so when you saw it the first time you were a little kid like what what uh what uh time period would that have been um if it came out in 85 i mean i'm guessing i probably saw it when i was like uh maybe like five i don't remember i mean i definitely was really 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 young um and like the first time i watched it, it again it didn't really like it's funny because it's like like when your parents tell you like certain things where it's like oh you'll like you, you're not gonna like this like you'll appreciate it when you're older it's like there is certain times that is correct like because i remember like my dad um had to get a vhs of like animal house when i was a kid and like my babysitter watched it a bunch of times and i would watch anything as a child like literally any movie you put on i would watch the shit out of it and like she put on animal house i would like lose interest in like two seconds and walk out and now it is like my one of my favorite movies of all time so it's like kind of thing with the breakfast club where it's like i saw it at super young age and it definitely made an impression because i always liked it and like whenever it was on i would watch it but it wasn't like something that was like important to me or personal to me until i had that experience behind it i have a similar just growing up i had let's watch the breakfast club and it was just a movie you know it was like i didn't i didn't get it it wasn't like years later till i figured out a lot of stuff that was going on obviously yeah. but there's there's a lot of films like that like animal house would be an example i saw that growing up and i was just like hey it's a wacky movie with some funny stuff but like then you then you watch it and you pick up on certain things which i which i i i, I think the great movies the great comedies especially great teen stuff the ones that you can pick up different things as you grow up is yes. really what makes one special, you know, cause no, you can watch it. True. And that's even true of just Hughes in general. Yeah. And it, that was probably your first exposure to John Hughes. I'm assuming. Probably. Yeah. I mean, because like, I, I want to say, I, I definitely remember watching Ferris Bueller a lot as a kid too. And I definitely watched that more when I was a kid. Like that wouldn't just to say I'd watch it a lot as a teenager or like still watch it a decent amount now, but like, um, that's the one I remember watching the most. Like, I remember like watching it at, like my babysitter's house and stuff, like Ferris Bueller. Like everyone loved Ferris Bueller. Um, and Breakfast Club, I feel like I just saw like on TV. And then eventually, like when I had my, the means to like watch things on my own, it was like I that's one of the first things I got. Cause it was like, and then I was like watching by that point, I was already like either on the cusp of being in high school or already in high school. And it was just like, oh, now I get it. Like now I connect with it. If Ferris Bueller was definitely a movie that I watched a lot as a kid. It makes sense. I mean, he's just on wacky adventures. I mean, there's yes. lessons to be had during the movie, but like it's one of those that you can watch without kind of understanding. I mean, there's a whole dance sequence at a parade. Like, like I'm ten years old. Of course, I'm going to be excited about something like that. <laughs> no, I mean that's like well, also Ferris Bueller is like it's the thing you're talking about before, where it's like I feel like it's like there is like a meme that goes around every so often, um, which I. Technically, I apparently I haven't gotten to the last part of it, but they were like a kid when you're a kid, 
it's like you love and relate to Ferris. When you're older, you love and relate to Cameron. And then when you're like oldest, like when you're an adult, you like love and relate to Rooney. And I was like, I have never gotten to the Rooney part, but I definitely did not grasp how interesting Cameron was as a character when I was a kid. It wasn't until I watched it as an adult that I'm like, oh, okay. Like this guy's fucking like, this is the most interesting part of the whole movie, honestly. Yeah, the Cameron character is great because... I'll, whenever somebody is just feeling down on themselves and they just don't want to do anything, I'd just be like, you know, you're not dying. You just can't think of anything better to do. Yes. And I, and I just feel like I see more and more Camerons as I get older. I mean, it makes sense, though, because, like, you know, life beats us down at times. You know, so that's why we... It's good to have friends to, like, a Ferris. We all need a Ferris in our life. It doesn't have to be, like, that, you know, crazy, but it's always good to have... No, I would 100% agree with that. I mean, yes, if if, like, if you if you aren't the Ferris in somebody's life, become the Ferris in somebody's life. Sounds like Rob might be your Ferris. <laughs> well, I and mean, it's like depending on the moment, we're both. Yeah, I say, yeah. Sometimes it's, it depends on the day. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's cool though. That you know, that's one of the things you can tell listening to your show is just that sort of like that uh, friendship and. That you know, sort of personality that you know, working for both of you that has a sort of similar kind of Hughesian style, I think, which is a pretty good compliment, if you ask me. That's probably yeah, why people really you. like your show. Thank you. All right, so Breakfast Club. Uh, for those who are listening and they're like, "What is the Breakfast Club?" I don't know what this is. Uh, it's about it's a movie about five kids who want to have to go to detention on a Saturday. And then hijinks ensue, and they also learn stuff about each other. I think that's pretty much sums it up. What is what? How would you describe the Breakfast Club to somebody who's never seen it before? What well, is funny? Like everybody always says detention, and I know because they, they say detention in the movie. But I was like, it's very much in school suspension. As somebody who had to deal with in school suspension a fair amount as a child, uh, like that's that's a very that's a that's a very good illustration of it. Um, because it's like detention's like an hour at most like two hours like they're there literally all day and like so yeah i had an in-school suspension myself and i had to go into a special room for like the whole week yeah yeah that's yeah that's the way yeah yeah it's like like, i would i had that with like a bunch of times because like i had this thing where i got in trouble a lot but also they can't actually force you it's not like it's like prison like they can't like get somebody like they can't get like, a cop and like place you there it's just like they basically tell you you have detention and then if you just don't go nobody can really do anything about it they just basically are like well now you're suspended okay well, that's fine so like i was like i spent a lot of time either in detention or suspended um especially my junior and senior years of high school um but yeah to answer your question i mean you summed it up pretty well i mean basically it's just like it's a bunch of kids all of whom are kind of a perfect drawing of a certain type of person in high school, a clique, if you will. Um, so they're all in some way or another relatable, because like, that's the little moral in the movie. But um, at, the, at the end of the day, it's basically just watching how people that seem, when you meet them, that they possibly couldn't be any different and could have nothing to do with each other, that by the end of the film, I have an almost familial bond. Um, it's very much, it's almost like as much as it's pure hues, 
it's also probably a big part of why I became obsessed with like Richard Linklater um, later in life is because they say like Linklater's best movies, uh, in my opinion, are the ones that are literally just like people talking for like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and this is a great example of that. Granted, more happens in this than like happens in like, let's say like before sunset, but like it's still mostly it's about people talking and like human relationships and how everyone is dealing with shit regardless of how it may look on the outside and everyone handles it differently regardless of how it may look on the outside the characters they're they're listed as uh the brain the athlete the basket case the princess and the criminal uh of those five archetypes, what 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 do you what did you think you were in high school? When I was watching this in high school, I very much related to Bender because I was a very angry fucking kid, and like that, like I think it's funny. Actually, my tattoo artist commented on this recently. Um, I went, I was like, I was at dinner with him and his husband and my girlfriend and I, and um, he had talked about, and he didn't even meet me in high school. He met me when I was like in my twenties. Um, but he had talked about like how different I was the human being now versus how I like used to be, um, where I was like really pissed off all the time. But at the same time, I was also not as like outwardly like hostile now that I think about it. Cause like watching it now, I'm like probably the closest relation, um, is Allison, even though she sells out real hard in the end, that bums me out um but like in terms of like just what i actually probably looked like to the outside in high school like especially to like how she was dressed i was like that's probably the closest to who i was back in those days yeah it's it's funny i when i was watching this uh the other last week i was trying to think like man what was i like in high school related to those kind of archetypes and not to sound like or anything like I don't I feel like I kind of fit in with a couple of those without even realizing it you know for example I did sports in high school so I kind of was you know an athlete but uh you know I was also very quiet I mean I wasn't a very I wasn't that outgoing you know so I you know I was like man I was kind of kind of like maybe not the basket case but it's quiet you know but I'm like now I, I watch those movies and I'm and I'm just like I don't know if I really necessarily identify with any of them. Well, yeah, that's uh, the thing is like it's such a it's such a like um it's such a broad kind of take on those archetypes that I feel like you everyone is someone and also nobody is any of them. Like in the end, it's all just a portrait. Like it's just like so it's like it's it, like there's a there's definitely something about anyone that I feel like watching this movie will like catch a glint of like something they see within themselves within those characters. But yeah, like the more like you like look at it, the more it's like, well, yes, I'm definitely not that guy. But that's also the in the end, that's the moral of the movie anyway. But. I will say the the really cool thing about Breakfast Club though is how previously teen movies were mostly like. A porkies kind of thing. Yeah, was it like teen sex? You know, yeah. like uh, it really wasn't until like Fast Times at Ridgemont High where it started dealing with stuff that like teenagers could actually identify with. You know, like I mean, I still to this day I don't think I can identify with anybody in porkies, but I can still <laughs> identify with 
fast times, you know, and then there was something just about the way John Hughes could speak to, to kids um, in that particular time period that was unlike anyone else, you know, and like you look back on some of this stuff, you're like, okay, well, you know, it's a little problematic now. And perhaps it would have been nice if he had different experiences growing up that, you know, could allow him to have maybe written a little bit more sensitively to some of the uh, characters he's done, but like, he still kind of got it, you know, and that's, I thought that was, you know, really interesting uh, when you consider a lot of the team movies uh, at the time. What is what is what do you think made John Hughes especially so poignant to kids? Um, I will think it's funny is like as you mentioned that is like um I remember I will never forget this like the day that he died, um I was at work I was at Lowe's, and people genuinely thought somebody in my immediate family died, um from my reaction like I was so upset. And it's because, like, he spoke to me, even though he wasn't, like, speaking to me. Because, like, truth be told, like, I am, and you, uh, I believe, are, like, a generation after. Because um, basically, like, the ones that are, like, the, the everything, I mean, obviously none of us were, like, teenagers in the 80s. So it's, like, clearly, like, it's, like, it's not, it wasn't us. Like, it's speaking to the generation before us. But it's also so universal. And that's what he understood, that I think that's what makes him... The like still to this day, all of his stuff generally, I think, okay, <laughs> the problematic elements, I'm not going to say don't exist because they definitely exist. Like, I'm not going to lie and say Long Duck Dong is a good character and that should have ever been a thing. Although, I mean, I do, as a stupid racist thing, I it's, it's mildly amusing, <laughs> but like, I definitely understand people not being with it. And I'm just like, no, it's that's definitely, it's like, wow, I'm like weird science. It's like, that entire movie's like entire thing is very, very problematic. But like because the core of it is so truthful, and because that's the whole thing. The thing that I think made Hugh special is even though like his sense of humor might have gone to like places that aren't great, um, and definitely don't hold up well um his actual storytelling and just humanistic um nature comes through it like shines through really beautifully and it his ability to create characters and breathe life in those characters and make those characters feel like real people that you know or that you want to know is i think his greatest strength and i think that's something that like very few people have done whether it's about teen movies or whatever it's something that very people have done i feel like everyone should aspire to like they he made characters that don't feel like their character speaking dialogue like he made movies about people that feel like people you also mentioned how watching breakfast club was one of those first times where you were like man i kind of get the movies like you know the making of movies and i was reading a book uh you couldn't ignore me if you tried and it's about like the the team movies of the 80s and the brat pack and all that kind of stuff and one of the things i I learned from this book i didn't realize is that was his his directorial debut Mm -hmm. and the reason for allowing him to direct this one is because he's like okay i got this movie it's in one location essentially you know you can 
rein me in if I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just easy to be like one, one location. And he really uses that location to like great effect. Uh, what do you think was this, the strength and how he was able to have such a sure hand at directing right away? And what were some of the things that really were like, I need to know more about how movies are made? Well, it's not even that I was like necessarily like, because I always wanted to like, but it's like at a certain point, there was also like, I don't necessarily want to, like, I don't necessarily, it's like, if I know everything about how Spielberg created Raiders on some level, it's going to kind of ruin Raiders for me. Um, but if I watch Breakfast Club enough times, it just kind of like, you just start to notice the way that he's doing things and like the way he like puts people where they are, the way he like moves the camera around them very slowly, the way it's all about basically just letting the actor, because I think it's like, it's almost in a lot of ways, it feels like a play that somebody films and everyone like in the cast all just because there's so many like wonders in the movie by itself like it's like like the like my favorite probably moment in the entire movie is um the bit when andrew's talking about what got him into detention that day and just like watching millie Vesvis's performance and like watching the way that hughes uses his camera where it's just like it's just to like it just draws you in very because because you don't necessarily like even he is saying how horrible this thing that he did was and there's still both with Emilio's performance and Hughes's camera it's just like slowly like drawing you in and it's just so compelling and it it's almost like you don't want to look at it because it's so personal but at the same time you can't help but look at it and it's just like things like that like across like because like yes there's also stuff where it's like um the way that he shoots like the end, like with the whole like where it breaks down into a dance uh, sequence for the climax, which I do understand because like at the time, especially I'd imagine the studio <laughs> looking at this being like, oh, cool. We have a movie about teenagers talking for an hour and a half. I'm sure this will make tens of millions of dollars. But they, like, they so were, makes... I could tell you they were not happy. Yeah, of uh, course not. But like, the, especially the marketing people, they're like, how are we going to market this? And then the producers are like, shut, shut up, trust us. And they were yeah. obviously right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think it's like, it's like, like, so there's even like things like that, but also just the way he also like structures things, like in terms of like jokes and like the comedy of it. And also like just like, but like, as I said, the way he like shoots the drama, it's like from, like from start to finish, like I just think he does a really beautiful job. And it's funny because like when you look at his other stuff, and I'm not even saying any of it is like necessarily bad, but none of it is like this like um because he also like directed uh like 16 candles he directed uh weird science ferris bueller um etc and all of those um and again i don't mean this disparagingly they have almost kind of a cartoon energy in a lot of ways whereas like this is kind of the outlier of his filmography because it's like it very much doesn't at all feel at any point in any second cartoonish even when they're doing kind of weirdly cartoonish things like there's like the whole like weed sequence and like when um like Emilio is like running around and shit and like breaks the windows with his scream, um, all of that, it's like I feel like it's the one time where he like, either somebody reined him in or he reined himself in 
And it's like, it's why nothing that movie feels false, like in a really beautiful way. There's a lot of surrealism, too, to some of that stuff. Like, you know, oh, yeah. like he probably didn't break the window, obviously, but that was just sort of like, a, you know, you're watching doing this thing is symbolic and whatnot. But I, there, there's a lot of that kind of stuff in that movie that really stands out as, as unique, especially a lot of the sound editing is really cool. In this movie, when uh, you know, like uh, when uh, Bender is telling his story and stuff, and he like punctuates at the end with like the fist bump, and it just the music crescendos and and it kind of is like an extension of what he was saying, and like that's that stuff is just like something you don't see that that much. Like the sound editing, it doesn't seem like it was very very cool watching that this particular time. Yeah, no, and also just like it also that whole bit. Like really manages to like capture not to get too dark, but like what it's like to be in that situation. Like it again, it's like it, nothing feels false, and like I don't know how much of it was Hughes ever taken from his own life or just being such a good artist that he could he was sensitive enough to tell, um, like what it might be like. But like like that whole sequence is fucking spot on. Indeed, and I think that's what. Also, is the thing with that movie is just the cast that he put together. Yes, and uh, so it was kind of interesting too. What I was learning is so Emilio Estevez, who's Clark Andrew Clark, and uh, John Nelson as Bender and Ali Sheedy as Allison. They were in their twenties. Yes, right. And and Bobby Rinwald and Anthony Michael Hall were still in high school, and they actually had to like go and do classes during the day. While the other the twenty year olds are just like I don't know smoking in the parking lot or whatever, you know, and there's the and it's very interesting too because I'm hearing stories where like like Judd and Emilia and them are going out in Chicago, you know, and then they, these two like they're in high school they can't do anything, yes. and I, but it it never feels like when they're acting it never feels like they're twenty year olds and high school kids they always feel like they're together and they I think that's what Hughes did really well is to kind of cast these like the perfect actors for these roles and they you can tell that they enjoyed working together because you know you can't get these performances if you don't trust your other actors i'm assuming so what what is, no, what is your mean, take on the cast well the thing that's funny is that um i remember i read once i mean now it's kind of common knowledge but like um back in like the day um that emilio was supposed to be um bender um but they couldn't find anyone to like play Andrew Clark. So basically they just moved him over. At first I was like, I cannot for life of me picture Emilio Estevez in that part. And then I saw Repo Man, um, which is one of my favorite movies, but like um whenever when I saw Repo Man, I'm like, oh that's literally he would have been <laughs> just playing the same part oh, again. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um but like um and like yeah it's like Nelson Jen Nelson was like way older too. I think he was like 27 or something. Um but like, yeah, no, it definitely doesn't feel like any of them are like, like I guess maybe Judge is a little bit older, but it seems like he could have been left back, um, which wouldn't which would track with this character. Um, but like, but no, yeah, like I definitely feel like they all like to a man, to a to a woman, we're all like spot on. Cause it's funny because I remember like I've heard the stories where apparently um Nelson was method, it was like shitty to Molly Ringwald outside of like the takes yeah. and everything. And Hughes being as protective as he was over Molly Ringwald um, because of 16 Candles was like, I'm going to fire this motherfucker. And then I guess um, it was Principal Vernon, Richard Gleason, 
who was like, no, 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 no. He's just, he's just, a, he's just an actor. He's just doing his job. He's doing a good job. Like leave, let the kid just work. And like, so you end up with ultimately like everybody is a, across the board, just fantastic. Um, but yeah, like I definitely think, uh, the thing is funny. It's actually like the, the one that's like the most against type is Ali Sheedy. Cause like, if you look at anything else that Ali Sheedy was ever in, there is like nothing else that is like Allison. Like whether you're watching Man's Best Friend, whether you're watching St. Elmo's Fire, like no part, short circuit, no part that Alice she's ever been. Yes. She's never been, she's never been this ever, but she pulls it off so well that you never once for one second question it. You know, it's funny too, because I think Molly Ringwald was originally going to actually do Allison. And, you know, part of it's because she, like, she wanted to do something different. But, you know, they decided, obviously, to stick it with Claire because I think that was, you know, the right choice overall. But that would have been kind of interesting to see her take on that character. Um, And then the, the other funny thing I've read, too, imagine this. Imagine John Cusack as Bender because he was yeah, that almost was, I know that was Yeah, I know that was the other choice. I was just like, part of me is like, I can't picture that. And then a part of me is like, I feel like he would have, I don't think he would have been Judd Nelson by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think he could have been interesting just because if you like look at what he was doing at that point, it was very like he took big swings. So it's like, I I feel like he could have done something cool with it, but like, we'll obviously never know. But like, honestly, if I was going to cast Cusack in any part, it would probably be Anthony Michael Hall's part, but like that's just me. I okay, I got this story about John Cusack. Uh so he did Better Off Dead, which is like one of the greatest teen comedies of all time. Just brilliant movie. But it bombed. Yes. Right? It didn't do very well. One one crazy summary just like hated it for some reason. I have this theory, the reason why he hates those movies is because he kept losing out on teen other teen movies. And his this one didn't do as well. And he's like, he's just like, this is he's just He's just jealous about the success of those other ones. And it's like, dude, you're, this Better Off Dead is great. Just stop being No, I, I think he now it. appreciates Better Off Dead. I think it was like, I, I had a th- I've heard a thing with um, um, Savage Steve Holland where he had talked about how fucking much of a nightmare it was to work with John Cusack on Better Off Dead because he was such a like, he, would, he took himself so seriously as an actor. And he was just like, this is so stupid. And then um, after it, it might not have done well financially, but like it was critically well received. The people that did see it liked it. And so um, by the time that he won Crazy Summer, he, I guess, was less like of a like pain in the ass to work with uh, because he was like, more accepting of what he wanted to do. But yeah, I think it's like, but also like if you look back at like, um, I've seen interviews with Cusack um, in the last couple of years where he like talked about like his like batting average, where he's like, I think I've been in like, it was like it was like 10 or 15 whatever good movies um and he was like it's it's still i mean he's like 10 10 or 15 out of like however many he's like that's still a really good average and he always mentions like better off dead's always one of the things he mentions so like i definitely think he like he's warmed up to it probably over the years but like i definitely think at the time i don't know if it was good that he was losing out on stuff or just that he wanted to do other things because like i have literally i mean if you look at his career he has the weirdest trajectory as it is like where it's like he'll take parts in stuff like um like identity um but also take parts in like hot tub time machine so it's like (laughs) it's a very weird career i mean he did uh was it 
Must Love Dogs. He's in that one, right? Yes, yes he it, is. I mean, Serendipity. He was in uh, that, but it was in but Close he's also Point in, Blank. Yes, so. he was also in like Max, which is a movie about young Hitler. Like, so it's like <laughs> there's like there's a lot of like there's there's a lot going on in his career. <laughs> he's a he's a much more interesting actor. I think people sometimes give him credit for. Oh, just totally, 100%. And he's just sort of just kind of fallen off the the planet, but. Not as bad as John Nelson, though. Like, you know, I don't even know what he does right now. But uh, his, his, I he want was... to say I've seen him in something semi recently. I can't remember what it was, though. I mean, it's definitely like one thing with Cusack is like, I, I feel like for whatever reason he's gotten kind of like he needs because he he was doing stuff like basically to pay the bills for a while, and I think that kind of fucked him at a certain point. And like now he's kind of like he's still prolific on Twitter. So like I still know he's around. Um but like Judd, yeah, like he had really like this. I mean, what should I say? Like, I don't think he's ever done like bad work per se. Um, but like definitely like there's not a lot some level of this. Like, I think that like this and like St. Elmo's Fire are like a really great one-two punch. But also, I think that like all of those um, like Brat Pack actors um, basically either learn like learn to do other shit that was not what was expected of them, and that kind of kept them working, or didn't. In the case of like Judd Nelson, and then you end up with the situation like he's kind of in now, where he doesn't really do a lot. Yeah. Okay. So I just looked. He's actually done 123. He has 123 credits, and he's done like 10 movies the last two years. They're all, obviously all low budget kind of stuff, like some Christmas movies and whatnot. But he's still still out, out there doing his thing, which is it's good to see because you know, you know, sometimes the people who did the Brad Pack stuff might not have had the the best careers overall. You know, and some. I mean, interesting I'm still genuinely shocked that he is not one of those guys, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Um, that like do the like conventions and stuff because you notice it's the thing that happens with a lot of actors like these days is like when you're you're not necessarily seeing them in things as much, and then they like they they do they show up at conventions and shit and like everybody's super stoked to see them. So like I feel like there's a lot of actors that like definitely play to that, and I'm surprised that Donelson is not one of them. Yeah, and and it was funny too. Uh, uh... Anthony Michael Hall was an interesting uh, acting case in, in the sense that, you know, he was kind of an awkward kid growing up a little bit. And then he started getting older, but, you know, he did like Johnny, uh, Johnny Be Good and stuff like that. But like he just wasn't able to kind of transition until like years later when he was doing the Dead Zone TV show. That's when he kind of was like, hey, I'm a adult actor now. You should watch my stuff, you know. And then he was in the latest on Halloween uh, Kills. Yes, yes, he was. And, uh, he was, he was I thought he was Tommy Doyle. Yes, I loved him. Yes, you know. So I mean, he's doing lots of different stuff, and that's cool. And you're, you're seeing a lot of more Molly Ringwald now. Mm-hmm. You know, she. I think she also is another actor that sort of was tough for her growing up because you know, you know, she she might not. She, I think whenever she tried to like stretch her acting muscles, it didn't quite work. Uh, the movie as a whole may not have worked or whatever. You know, and then it. Then she, uh, I remember she popped up in Secret Life of the American Teenager, which was that uh, the show with. Um... She was also like, I'm thinking, like, I was like, it was funny because, like, she, I remember for like a hot minute, she was like doing 
she was like trying to transition into like adult roles with like the pickup artist, which actually isn't a terrible movie, but like um it's like it didn't really feel like an adult performance. It just kind of felt like the same thing that she was doing in teen movies, that she was just now older doing it. Um and Downey was in that movie too, and it was the same situation. Like I, I think they're both great in the movie, but like it just that's the situation that they found themselves in. And then I think, yeah, at a certain point, she just kind of like didn't seem to like necessarily care as much, or at least if she did, she doesn't show it. But it was like, remember like the last couple of years, like when she showed up with like Archie's mom on Riverdale and stuff. I was like, oh, hey, Molly Ringwald. Yeah, so it's, it's 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 good to see her doing kind of stuff. And and then Alice Sheedy, she, she's always been steadily working, doing a lot of weird indie stuff too. And um, she's a great actor. I, I I feel like she should have been bigger than she was, but oh, one hundred percent. But I think she was. Uh, she she wanted to do uh, a lot of interesting stuff, and that doesn't always kind of translate to a lot of eyeballs. But she did uh, pretty. She had, she was pretty successful. But uh, all of them though in this movie. They really do some amazing performances, you know, and, and what I, I really like about the film is he was one of those directors, especially in this one, where he just went until the camera was out of film. So there's apparently like two and a half hour cut of this thing. Oh, yeah. But, no, the deleted scenes are on the Criterion. Yeah. And I want to see like what it's like all put together. Yeah. But I think that's one of the reasons why these performances are so good because he's, he's he filmed so much and was able to capture a lot of these things. Because uh, there's like, whenever they someone's telling a, a story about what's happening, they do these reaction shots of everybody. And it's just like, it felt like they were that character. So I thought that was that many directors could get performances of young people like that. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, I completely, as I said, like, it was like, I, I don't know exactly, like, how rehearsed it was, but as I said, like, it definitely feels like a play, and, like, I definitely feel like that's probably a big part of why it is the way it is, like, I would not be surprised if I know there was, like, a decent amount of rehearsal, um, because, like, they definitely are 100% locked into those roles, which you don't necessarily get with actors of that age, especially, like, um, in terms of, like, Ringwald and uh, I think Michael Hall where like they were actual children um, but like across the board everyone is totally locked in and I feel like I mean yes I'm sure a large part of that was I mean Hughes being a good director and giving good direction but also I would not be surprised if there was like a ton of rehearsals that like helped them get into those characters so like they could do everything they could but yeah there definitely is it's funny because I remember um, my whole life I've been chasing um, those extra scenes because um, I knew about them like a young age. And then it was like when they were releasing the Criterion Blu-ray, it was like, give it to me now. Um, and, like the day that I got it, I watched them and like my aunt was like, is it worth it? I'm like, it's more breakfast. Of course it's worth it. Like I was like, yeah, I mean, yes, I see why it's all cut out, but like it's 100% worth it. Like I was like, if, the, if there's more out there, I'll take it. Like just keep giving it to me. Just like, um, I guess that was the thing that Hughes did a lot because they just released... Um, the version of plane trees and automobiles on 4k where like they released um like an hour and a half of deleted scenes there too where basically it's just like that him kind of just letting john candy and c martin do stuff and i was just like i don't think that that was his strategy but it's not a bad strategy by any means i mean it's an expensive strategy at times because <laughs> yeah. that's a yes. lot of film like it's got to yes. be so much easier now with digital 
Yes. Oh, I totally. Yeah. Imagine what Breakfast Club would have been like if we had digital. He would, it would have just went on forever, probably. <laughs> well, I mean, like I, I still think it's funny because I remember um when they were talking about like uh, like one of the first like blockbusters I can think of that was or not like blockbusters but like like bigger movies that was like um came out. I remember like Super Bad was shot on digital, and I'm listening to the commentary um with Seth Rogen talking about like so like normally when we're making a movie it's like yes we're like riffing but at a certain point the camera runs out and we get like a second to like like regroup and like whatever he's like but digital the fucking thing just keeps running so basically you have to just keep finding things to do like all the thing keeps going and going and going and i was just like yeah that has to be kind of a nightmare (laughs) like jesus christ oh yeah i you're right that that is a great point um so i got a couple of questions related to the movie because i'm curious about one so when i'm growing up you know paul gleason's character is like a He's, I mean, he's still an asshole now, but like, I feel like there's a lot. There's probably people who saw this movie as a kid who are now older, who now go, "Oh, I completely relate to uh, Vernon." How do you feel about his character now that you're older? I mean, I understand him more now, but I still hate him because, like, if okay, it's, it's, it's okay. I don't know how old that character is, but definitely not probably a lot older than I am now. And I definitely know guys like that in life, where it's like basically just like trying to control things. And that's not good for humanity. <laughs> like, it just isn't. Like, it makes you awful. And like, people perceiving him as awful is the correct perception to have. Um, I will always believe that. Like, it's like, I definitely understand uh, the Carl character, the janitor character more now. Because um, I was a kid, it was just like, oh, yeah, that guy. Like, it's like, no, no. It, like Now I completely understand that guy. The guy just like was doing really well in life. And then some, somehow things took a turn. And now this is where he is. But he's still like, you can still see like the glint of like charisma. And in the, like, you can see that guy. Like he's still, he's there. He's a cool guy. He's a guy that you'd want to be friends with. Um, Vernon is just a piece of shit. Like, and that's and that's I mean, that's a testament to the performance and the writing um, of that character because it definitely is a real person that exists, but they aren't people that I like or respect. <laughs> no, I, I I totally get that because you know I I get annoyed with like like younger coworkers or whatever, but at no point do I just feel like oh you know they used to be. Sp- better now respectful and now they're just you know and i'm like whatever they're just every kid every young person has just learning you know so it's not like it's they're doing anything wrong per se it's just sometimes when you get older you know you just think that everything's about you and if they don't respect you whatever it's like somehow bad but it's it's also it's like i remember like you went to the coworkers. like i was like i remember like when i was like in my like like 18, 19, whatever, and people would call me kid, and I'd be so pissed. I was just like, I'm a man, damn it. And then, like, when I got to be, like, in my, like, mid to late 20s, and I'd have coworkers who were, like, in their, like, late teens, early 20s, I was like, now I understand. <laughs> like, I was just like, it's like, it's not even, like, in a way where I'm like, I think they're assholes, but it's like, I definitely, it's like, when you are that age, you don't realize, like, the various mistakes you're making is not so you can look back on them and you realize like in the ways in which like all the things that you thought were cool 
about yourself. Many of them were probably not that cool. And it's just like, but it's this shit you don't understand at that point. You just, you have to like, you have to go through it before you can understand. Yeah. And that's what I like about uh, Carl's character. It just sort of is the, his, the Vernon's yang to his yin, yes. the yin yang of, of, you know, working at a high school. And uh, I love John Capitalist's character and his work in that one. And I really laughed this time because when, you know, Brian says hello to him and everyone's just like, oh, you know, whatever. I'm making fun of him. Your dad work here? Yeah. I was like, that was, that was sadly me. I was one of those people that like, there was like a couple of teachers where I'm like, I just want to talk to this teacher all the time because he's cool. And it's just like, I mean, I, they were cool, I guess, but it's just, it just was like, that was one of those things in that movie that really rang true for me as a growing up in high school. It was like, I had the, I knew the the worker that worked there. <laughs> it was like, this is really hitting home. I mean, I did, but like, it was because I was, it's a, kind of like my relationship with my vice principal was kind of like the opposite of my relation of like better's relationship with um, Vernon. Because um, as I said, um, I spent, especially like the latter years of high school, I spent a lot of it either in um, detention or suspension and um, ended up becoming really friendly um, with the vice principal. Um, so like, I definitely understand what you're saying, but like most of the time I was just like, cause it's like cause at the same time, it's like our respect for each other was also very grudging. It's like, it was just like, I remember like there was like, um, like the last day of school, um, I had detention um, as I often did. And um, he was like, Pat, you go to detention? I'm like, no. And like, he's like, come here. And I was like, fine. And I walked over and he's like, everybody's getting out early. Just sit down in the room. They're going to call attendance. They're going to let you go. And I was just like, fine. For you, I'll do it. And so I did. But like, and it, that's, he was true to his word. But like, yeah. But it's like, I definitely didn't have the relationship with most because like, also I feel like most adults, whether they're teachers, whether whatever, I feel like a lot of adults don't um, like want to even try to like relate to younger people. Um, like once they're not young anymore, like they, they completely kind of forget what it was like. And so like, they just kind of like, even if they're, I don't know. I feel like they're very, most people, like a lot of adults are very dismissive of younger people. And I definitely had that experience, which is why now I kind of try to do the opposite. Like no matter like how old a kid is, I try to treat treat them like as if I would treat anybody else. Um, because like I feel like that's such a fucked up way to live of just like treating people that just happen to be younger as somehow subhuman. <laughs> uh my wife is is actually really good at that with kids. Like just she just talks to them like an adult essentially because yeah. kids are we don't give kids enough credit for being smarter than they are you know they yes. they know what's going on they actually see things that we don't because yes. we're kids they understand stuff so you know that's that is something that uh more adults should probably do when they're dealing with kids younger than them you know um other side fun fact that i found out about that carl character was originally it was rick moranis to play right. him which as a, in an accent and stuff, trying to do a whole bit. Like, thank God they didn't do that because they fired him. They're like, you can't do a bit, dude. This is what's with the bit. Don't do the bit. Well, but, I mean, I think that was also like that was a, like a thing with like 
Rick Moranis in general is like he is great. Like he obviously is one of the greatest of all time, but he was also a guy who had no problem if you didn't like what he was doing, just not doing it. <laughs> like, like there's the whole story of like Ghostbusters where like they wanted um where they John Candy um I mean, it's, I guess it's true of all those meetings, but like John Candy was supposed to play Rick Moranis' part. Um, but he was like, I don't really have any interest in the way you want to do this, but like my friend Rick would. And then like Rick Moranis does Lewis Tully, and Lewis Tully's his performance is genius. And then it's like his performance in like uh Honey I Show the Kids is genius. Like he's a great comedic actor. And he probably could have been a great dramatic actor too, but I don't think he had a lot of interest in it. That's why, like, that's also why I think he um when he ended up leaving Hollywood, everyone was, like, surprised. But I was like, I generally don't think he gave a fuck. <laughs> like, I think he was just, like, somebody who was just, like, acting is just something that I'm doing, like, to make money, and it's fun. Like, it's like, I don't need to do this. This isn't my life. All right, the other question I wanted to ask was, and this is something I noticed the last time I saw this last week, and this is going to sound weird considering, but do you think John Hughes hated the Claire character? I don't. Um, I definitely think I definitely see why you would think that. Because um, she she gets the most shit of anybody, especially when they're all sitting around talking about their problems. Like no matter what she says, everyone turn it against her, and they're like, "But you're still the rich girl." Claire. Exactly. What's well, just... the thing is, I feel like that's just the way that like people, and I'm not saying it's incorrect. <laughs> like like the way that people generally like react to like. Um, those of means is um, just kind of like in a very disparaging way. Um, but also I feel like he treats her as somebody who, yeah, I mean, yeah, like everything kind of shitting on her, but she's also not to say that she like deserves it, but like she is conceited. Like she is like what she's accused of being at certain points. Like, but at the same time, he's also a kid who's dealing with some serious shit. Like, they make it very clear at the jump that basically, like, her parents are using her against each other while their marriage falls apart. And it's like that, the, the fact that she's not the basket case that Allison is going through that is kind of miraculous in and of itself. Like, it shows the inner strength of that character, I feel like is that she is somebody who's definitely going through some fucking hard shit, but she's also somebody who is also very guarded because she believes that she has an image to portray, an image to hold. Which is why they're holding throughout the movie where she like refuses to kind of answer the question of whether or not, um, like how, basically how experienced sexually she is. And because it's like, even like, because it's to be told, like, Allison calls attention to it because she's right. It's a trap where it's like, if you say one thing, you're this. If you say the other, then you're this. And it's fucked. It's like the way that girls are treated in high school, but it's in life. The way like women are treated is just fucking gross. <laughs> like, so it's like, I definitely don't think that John Hughes hates that character. I just think that like, he's illustrating that she's the, all of them are deeply flawed like all of them across the board are deeply flawed and it's just a matter of how they portray themselves and everyone is kind of reacting to how she's portraying herself all the characters 
and the character of of Brian, he was uh first of all, my thing about call is really funny in this movie. Yes. Like I just love his deadpan comments yes. that he makes. Yes. You know, but like I, I totally kind of relate because like, you know, in the sense that like I didn't really understand like I you know, I was just confused by other people because I didn't really have the most experiences. I didn't have the most friends or whatever. So I totally get where he's coming from. Um but then um it's just something I never really picked up on until like way later in life was the story of of uh why he was in detention and uh you know i was just like i really wish i would have like paid more attention to that kind of stuff growing up just to kind of you know have that sort of in my head is it because you i mean you don't have to get into details or anything but like was that what at what point in your life did that that become something that was helpful to you what the brian thing well the thing is like well the thing is like with him is um i the thing that he kind of is figuring out over the course of this movie was something that i figured out when i was younger than him when i was in like probably like elementary school um because like my parents um would put a lot of pressure on me um to get good grades and at a certain point i realized that if i set the bar low and like i stopped trying to get good grades then basically i would get left alone um which is why <laughs> i think it's funny is like watching the thing the, thing, the reason i relate to allison so much is like just like the singular line of like what they do to you it's like they ignore me that's what my parents did like they, they literally like i was a latchkey kid from the from second grade um and even beyond that they just did not pay attention to me which is i mean what i was partially my own doing so like i don't blame them for um because i just couldn't deal with the pressure that was being put on um so like there's that whole moment um like when like brian talks about um basically the reason he was there was because he tried to kill himself and it's like at the time like now i definitely see it differently um because like the reasons that i wanted to kill myself when i was younger were not anything to do with my parents so much i mean i guess they, it's just they ignored me but it's mostly just because like i felt not only alone but i felt like i don't even know how to put it like it was almost like nobody liked me nobody cared and so it was like at a certain point, it was just like, I just want this to fucking stop. It's like, I just need to get the fuck off of this planet and be done. Like, I can't deal with this anymore. And, like, eventually I got past that. I mean, like, I wouldn't say I'm completely past it because, like, those thoughts never occurred to me. Um, but they're definitely way less frequent than they were when I was at that age. Um, but it's like, I definitely understand that character and feeling so fucking desperate because you've completely lost any control that you might have had over life and the life that you're looking at is awful and not something that you can live with the idea of that i do find extremely relatable and what what uh was it just just what what gave you the the kind of the motivation to keep going 
Um, it was really just a matter of like, I can actually tell you the specific moment. Um, cause there was one day where I legitimately was going to kill myself. Um, I think I was 17. Um, and I left school that day. Um, while I was in school, I had made the decision that I was going to, um, on the way home, uh, I got razor blades. Um, and, but before that I had read a story like, um, when I was younger about, um, Ian Mackay, or sorry, uh, Ian Curtis from Joy Division, um, before he killed himself, um, listened to, um, he watched his, like, favorite, uh, movie, watched his favorite movie and, like, listened to his favorite record, which is E. Pops the Idiot, before he killed himself. And so I was like, well, I might as well listen to, uh, my favorite album one, once more. And it was, uh, AFI's Black Sails in the Sunset, still is. And, um, there's, like, a line, there's, I mean, there's a song called Narrative Soul Against Soul, which is about suicide. But there's like a line where he's like, uh, Davy is like a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Before I lay myself down to rest, I throw away everything to live. And that just completely like flipped a switch in my brain where I threw away the razors. And I was just like, okay. So it's like, if I was to kill myself, that that ruins any possibility of things ever getting better. Like, I will never hear anything else. I've never seen anything else. It'll just be dumb. And that's at that moment in time sounded so much worse than the alternative. So that kept me going, kept me from killing myself. It, it, it sounds like the, the song itself kind of saw you at that yeah. moment, kind of like in, in, in the movie here when he. Tells the the them what kind of gun it was, yeah, you know, and then but that would you know, and then everybody just kind of had that kind of uh, laugh about it because it's kind of silly. But I think at that moment that was when he realized that people were actually listening to him and and not putting any pressure on him, yeah, that he was getting from his parents. So yeah. I I think it's you know it's just it sounds like a lot of problems people have, including myself. It's just we need want somebody to see us. For the problems that we're having yeah you know and uh i, I think that is that is a, a pretty powerful lesson that the, the movie has that you know i never noticed when i was growing up as much you know as i did now that i'm a little bit older and you know smarter <laughs> um you know <laughs> now um, we can see your air quotes larry <laughs> i know i know uh they you know they could tell it's air quotes it's just a thing the audio does it picks up on air quotes uh <laughs> but yeah that's what i think that's what makes the movie great and i and i think that's you know it took me a while for me to see those characters which is why it, a lot of the times the movie didn't quite make sense to me growing up because i didn't quite see what they were going through yeah. like uh <laughs> i remember one time watching it going they're doing drugs <laughs> i had no idea growing up you know i mean i didn't know either but i also just like i mean once i got like once i was straight edge it's like i've experienced like watching people do it like i've been like present while it happened but i've never done it myself speaking of uh being seen you mentioned it before and obviously the most controversial part of this movie is the what the thing with allison <laughs> what because 
so when I when I saw it and and reading a little bit more about that whole thing was that the idea was nobody had seen her before and this was she she was going to be seen you know so she, her her hair is no longer in her face stuff like that they went a little bit overboard with yes. <laughs> the makeup and they they said the the biggest issue that I didn't really notice this is uh. If she were to take off like her her outfit that she had on, it wouldn't be like a frilly blouse that it is. It would have yeah. been like a white t shirt. Yeah. And like if I would have done it again, if if she had been wearing just like a white t shirt or something, something very generic like that, I think it would have been less kind oh, of sure. like what the hell is this yeah. bullshit? But like what's what's what is your take on why it went that way and why it has offended so many people? Well, I mean, because it's just like, I feel like it's the thing of like, it's such a like night and day disparity. Um, it's like, and also the fact that she's doing it essentially, like it's, it feels like the way they're illustrating it feels like she's doing it for a dude. Like she's doing it to like get this dude's attention. And that's super gross. Um, I think that's why a lot of people hate it. But at the same time, I also, um, a movie that is similar to this um is the faculty um Robert Rodriguez's movie um which we've covered on Chainsaws and Claws but um I remember when I saw that movie in high school it pissed me off when like they like you have the whole thing where now um the like the goth girl is now all dolled up but not only that but they also have like the bender character if you will as like a jock and I'm just like Jesus Christ like you literally like it's like they they took the wrong lessons from the Breakfast Club and they were like oh no let's just change all of the characters which nobody wants I That's yeah I still to this day don't understand why he's like I'm playing football now I'm like okay okay cool no there's no reason <laughs> for that <laughs> yeah yeah I think though that uh, I think you know and benefit of hindsight they if they would have just tweaked a little bit that that whole thing it, it might have sat better but i think once you kind of know what they're going for I, I, it makes sense you know why they would do it i just you know obviously it would have been nicer if they you know wouldn't have just been you know i think what it is is i think they kiss at the end of the movie yeah they do and i feel like if there was no kiss it would have been it would have had a different connotation different meaning whereas well, also, now there's a kiss I, it's yeah. like well now they're dating <laughs> Well, that's well fair, but um, my other thing is I feel like, in terms of, I it was him. I, I think it was definitely it was Hughes, definitely as a young director trying to hammer the point home more than he really needed to, because um, the whole moral at the end of the movie is when they're like we're all an athlete of the basket case, like whatever. Like they're they're they, they go through all the archetypes. And like, I think in the case of that, it was show it was kind of like in the way that like filmmaking is like telling stories visually, it was Hughes trying to like tell that story visually. And I don't think I it, it goes too far, but at the same time, he was so early in his career that I'm like, I, I'll give him a pass. <laughs> you know, it, this is gonna sound really dumb, but like I didn't really understand till just now because of what you just said like the the letter makes even more sense than it has because it's uh basically 
saying that like what you see us is what we are, but we're also these other things as well. Whereas I always took it as, uh, you know, they all accepted sort of like, like, this is this who I am. Like, so this is, this is it. Like, whatever, what you see is what you get, you know, there's no, you know, but now that both are true, like they're both yeah. accepting of themselves, but they're also accepting all of the parts of themselves. And I, man, and, and, that uh, last shot of the movie, I, I I still will imitate to this day when something exciting happens. Indeed. Like what an I- iconic way to end it. That's probably one of the most iconic endings to to a movie. And I what because Bender's you know like a, he's he's an angry person obviously because he's gone through a lot of shit in his life. But like at the end there, he's like like happy. Like what what do you think? Uh, what do you think the him and the rest of the people were like that Monday? What do you think happened? See, that's the thing is like I always think that's kind of the best part about the movie that I feel like a lot of people have kind of fucked up is because like, um, they did like a Breakfast Club episode of Degrassi, and then they the um the next class, next generation, whatever the hell, um, and like they show like after, which I mean obviously you have to because Degrassi is like that's the finale, um. But like they do that, and then like um, I'm like in obviously faculty, like they do, they, they show it, and I was like, the thing that like I think is interesting is the fact that you don't know, like you're completely left to like, it's kind of like um the line um if you ever seen um speaking of Whipladder, um the, like the four movies, the second before movie, um before sunset, um when he's talking about because basically they ask him uh, about jesse and celine uh basically the characters in his book um and he's like i guess it's the ultimate test if you're the romantic or a cynic he's like because you think they definitely got together you definitely don't and you don't know that's why you're asking the question and um that's my whole thing with the breakfast club where i was like you can believe whatever you want and that's what makes it interesting like I'm inclined to believe personally because I am uh definitely more so now than I was younger, um optimistic. And that like at the very least, even if they're not all like friends now, they're at least all like friendly. Like I believe, like I don't necessarily believe that like um I believe that like Andy and um Allison remain together because that makes sense. Um the Bender Claire thing, I don't think stands a long test of time, just by virtue of the fact that like it's very clear, even by him telling her, like it's like, it's like you know how you said your parents use you against each other, wouldn't I be outstanding in that capacity? Um, so it's like that's not necessarily the best foundation <laughs> for a relationship. Um, but I definitely feel like at the at the end of the day, everyone is in a better place than we found them at the beginning. And I believe that Monday, they're all different people than they were that Saturday. Yeah, I, I would, boy, that would be real depressing if they just didn't learn anything. <laughs> I was like, man, it's, it, could you imagine if they're like, we're going to do a 20 year later sequel or whatever, 40 years. Holy shit. This was well, crazy. no, there was like a long time. It's like the one thing that really made me most sad when Hughes ended up dying was I had for years in my head, like I had it made in my head and I had 
like was putting out of the universe begging for him to do it is I wanted to see like an Avengers movie of all the, the Shermer characters, like have all of them do like the class reunion and just have them all like in one big movie where you have Ferris and Bender and blah, blah, blah. it's like everyone in one movie, even though that would be, I don't know how the hell that would work. I've always wanted to see that. I don't think they all went to the same school at the same time. You don't know that you can't prove that. <laughs> But uh, it w- that would be interesting. I, yeah, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those things where you just kind of wonder, you know, what. I think the closest to that would have been something like um, Gross Point Blank and Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, because those are basically the reunion times that would have been for those movies. Yeah, you know, so especially for saying anything, considering yeah. it's like, basically the same character. I assume that's what happened to him. He was. He liked kickboxing. And then he had to go <laughs> in the army because of it. Um, but yeah, that would it would be interesting to see. But I think that's what makes a great art is interpretation. Yes, and that's what uh, makes the movie special, in, in my opinion. Um, do you think kids could watch this today and and learn from it, or do you think it's still it'd be a little bit too old fashioned now? I mean, honestly, I don't know because I feel like. I feel like if they were to give it a chance, it still works because like, um, like to your point, um, I remember when I saw, um, Rebel Without a Cause for the first time, um, I was like probably like 18, 19 and I could not have related less to these teenagers in the fifties in terms of their fashions and like their activities, but I deeply related to like the way that the story was being told and the way that the characters were developed in that movie, especially those core three. So it's like, I feel like what Hughes did is immortal. It's a matter of like, would like kids now watch it? I have no idea. Um, but like, I would say like, if they did, I think they would get something out of it. Because I do think it's funny though, like when people are like, um, there's the whole um, like meme that always goes around. Like people were like, it's like if this movie happened now, all the kids would just be on their phones all day and they wouldn't like end up becoming friends. And I was like, okay, first of all, I don't know what makes you think that in attention they would let them have their phones. Second of all, I was frequently in detention suspension. I did not make friends there. So like there is not necessarily some sort of thing where like it's entirely possible that the Breakfast Club is just like a one-time experience for these particular people. Like, it's like, it's not like this universal experience. Like you put me as like either Bender or Allison in a room with like a geek and a jock and like a popular girl. And like, we're all going to suddenly become close friends. Like that's not necessarily going to happen just because the times have changed. (laughs) Like that wasn't just like going to happen in the like nineties or two thousands. Like it's just, that's just life. <laughs> like, I don't know what oh yeah. What uh, what are some uh, current teen movies that you would recommend somebody watch? Because there's you know like there's some good stuff now. Yes. And what um, do, is there anything that stands out as like a successor to the Breakfast Club? The first thing that actually came to mind the second you said it. So I'll say I did mention it on the cult movies. Um, when I did that with Rob, um, is there's a movie called Love Simon. Um, that came out, um, I want to say 2017, um, 
where I remember when I watched it in the theater, um, I had said to my girlfriend at the time when it was over, I was like, of all the people who have tried to do Hughes since Hughes, that is the one time that anyone has gotten close. Because there are movies that I really like, like let's say like Can't Hardly Wait. I like Can't Hardly Wait very much. But Can't Hardly Wait is desperately trying to be Hughes and not hitting that mark. And that's fine because it is it's a good it's good as its own thing. But like clearly Love Simon, I don't even know if they were trying to be Hughes, but it was like they managed to get to the core of what it is to be a young adult or at least a young person on the, on the cusp of adulthood and how that feels and translating that. Um, that is the best example I can think of. That movie, I feel like if people are looking for something in the vein of Hughes, that is the closest I can think of. That, I had to to kind of look that one up because I, I had heard of the movie, but I, I had to jog some memories on it a little bit. And I thought it was directed by Greg Berlanti, which makes a lot of sense because he cut his teeth early on as, as Dawson's Creek and mm-hmm. and uh, Everwood and stuff. So you know, I mean, he he probably like many of us, he probably grew up watching Hughes movies, you know, and he sort of because like it's like I've like talked about on Chains Only Claws where it's just like there was like there are some people you can tell grew up on like a genre or a subgenre, and they're trying to do it, and they don't necessarily. Like they think they know, but they don't. Like it just doesn't translate the same way that they're trying to. And then I use Can't the Way as an example, which isn't disparaging of that movie at all. I I like that movie a lot. But you could tell they were going for Hughes and they kind of fail in that regard. Whereas I feel like the way to do Hughes is not to try to do Hughes, it's just to try to be honest about what it is to be that age and how you feel inside and translating that experience. And that's what I'm saying about like this movie, watching it now, is I'm like, I feel like the, the experiences still exist. Like, the way that feels still exists. Like, that doesn't change. Like, you know, the way like you feel when you're young, I do think it doesn't change that much. Like it's definitely like technology changes, whatever, but how things feel as you're experiencing them for the first time, that doesn't change. Well, on those are pretty good words to to end the episode on, I think, because uh, the the lesson here is in the movie is to be true to yourself, and when you're making something for teens, you should be true to what yourself, and don't try to ape somebody else because you know that that gets people in tr- in trouble. That would that's sort of what they were feeling in in the Breakfast Club is trying to be some somebody that they're not necessarily, or they're more than just what they are. So. Uh, so, Patrick, uh, appreciate you coming on, talking about The Breakfast Club, one of the, uh, the greatest team movies of all time. Uh, I had a blast, and I hope we can do this again for some other movie, perhaps. I would love to, yes. All right, well, thanks, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Alive.